WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 19th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Beautiful, sunny day on the way. High 74. Tonight, an overnight clear cool low 58 and then wednesday another beauty sunshine high 77 if you are walking out the door with us right now 59 and clear in seacliff out on long island 56 and clear in piscataway in new jersey and it is 58 and clear here in midtown so much to get to as we work our way up six o'clock hour sid and friends in the morning uh over the last uh, few hours, they finally seem to have figured out where that stealth fighter jet was. The one where a pilot, a Marine pilot, had to escape the hatch, uh, parachuted out of it over North Charleston, South Carolina, which is right next to Charleston, South Carolina. Thankfully, he's okay, but that jet went missing. The stealth fighter went missing until last night. They found this debris field in South Carolina about two hours away from where that pilot uh, got out of the plane. Uh, there's a reporter on the scene, Courtney uh, QB. Uh, here's what she had to say. How is it that the U.S. military's most advanced fighter jet could simply disappear? Well, one U.S. official tells us it appears that the transponder may have malfunctioned and that may have impacted the U.S. military's ability to locate and communicate with that aircraft. It does seem a little crazy that a jet that is uh, worth, what, 80, 100 million dollars could just go missing like that. The Marine Corps pilot ejecting from the F-35B after some sort of mishap on Sunday managed to make it to the ground safely in North Charleston. The plane worth, uh, well, they're saying 100 million, but the number keeps uh, anywhere between 80 and 100 million dollars. Joint Base Charleston says the um, personnel located this debris field in Williamsburg County, but were unable to specify at the time if it was from the jet, but we're getting more confirmation this morning that it likely was. They have moved everybody out of the way, anybody that's near there. They're not letting the reporters nearby as they sort of piece all together what might have taken place with this jet after this pilot got out of it. Uh, on uh, Monday, but just or Sunday, but just a crazy story out of Charleston. A nice story here, as the uh, sideline from the General Assembly, which seems to be more of a nuisance for us than anything else, as leaders from 151 countries assembling for the meetings that begin today at the UN, and things are shut down. It's hard to get around on the east side. But nice moment yesterday. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, who's here in town for the General Assembly headed over to Staten Island University Hospital yesterday to visit with his country's wounded soldiers. It was the first thing he did after he got off the plane. Uh, there are about 18 of these soldiers who they have sent from the front lines in Ukraine to uh, this hospital on Staten Island to get care. Uh, one of the soldiers uh, getting out of his wheelchair, standing to his feet. As Zelensky walked into the room, they took a photo together. Uh, he handed out 
um, awards to the injured soldier, some confined to wheelchairs, others with prosthetic limbs. That's part of the reason they were sent here to Staten Island University Hospital to get those prosthetic limbs. Uh, he toured the facility and then he gave a short speech to the soldiers where he issued that country's battle cry, which is glory to Ukraine. Uh, the soldiers all screaming back to him, glory to the heroes in Ukraine. But a nice moment there at the hospital yesterday over on Staten Island. And uh, while we're talking about the General Assembly, there was a huge protest downtown yesterday, Wall Street, about 114 protesters actually arrested, taken into custody during this climate change protest took place uh, lower Manhattan, most processed and released already. But these protesters first, they gathered at Zuccotti Park. Then they marched to these target sites in the financial district. Some tried to get to the New York Stock Exchange floor, but they were stopped by police who knew what they were up to. This is our last resort. We're bringing the crisis to their doorstep, and this is what it looks like. This is nonviolent civil disobedience um, in order to, to make changes to, you know, and send a big message to the powerful people. Those who were arrested charged with civil disobedience. Uh, despite the arrest, the group promises more activism this week during the U.N. General Assembly. The aim uh, is to demand an end to fossil fuel financing from outside the largest financial institutions and the New York Stock Exchange. That's why they were downtown yesterday. In fact, uh, a group of them blocked the front door to the Federal Reserve, uh, and they were successful for a while until cops cuffed them and took them away. Nobody's getting in until the Fed regulates Wall Street and makes their portfolios comply with not expanding oil, gas, and coal because it's killing us. Yeah, so there was a climate change protest on Sunday, about 75,000. It wasn't that many downtown, but the ones downtown yesterday, they say they were willing to be arrested for this cause. And that's why so many of them were taken into custody. And usually these are pre-prescribed things where they figure out, okay, which members of these group don't have a record? So you don't then get arrested and you're charged with all kinds of other things. And those are the people who are told, okay, you're going to get arrested. This is uh, the lawyer you need to call once you're behind bars to get out. Uh, that was the case with this group yesterday, about 114 in all. That's a lot of arrests, a lot of police downtown for this protest. We'll be blocking doors, blocking streets, blocking whatever we can to send a message to the financial institutions and to Joe Biden uh, that we have to get off of fossil fuels. You're going to see more of these protests as the uh, days wear on during the course of this week. And again, those meetings, the General Assembly, it begins today. President Biden, he will be making a speech this morning, and then you get to hear from all the leaders from all over the world over the next couple days. Again, East Side will be a mess again. It was yesterday. No doubt it will be all week, so stay away from that. WABC News Time 508 United Auto Workers. This is day five of their strike against the big three U.S. automakers. The thought is this thing could go on for weeks, if not longer. UAW member Travis Harrison, he's picketing in Detroit, says this strike is about simple math. Uh, record profit should be spread out to the employees that are help making that profit. Reports say the union met with Ford and GM over the weekend. UAW president says progress has been slow. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants. This is in Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, demanding higher pay, shorter work weeks, pension benefits. I, I could see it going a few weeks for sure. Yeah, uh, the thought is if this goes like even eight or ten days, it could cost the economy billions of dollars. I got a long way to go till I retire. 
United Auto Workers President Sean Fain says there hasn't been much progress in the talks, uh, but he's happy at least there's dialogue happening. It's a shame that the companies didn't take our advice and get down to business from the beginning of bargaining back in mid-July. Yeah, they keep talking about the fact that they could have been talking sooner. They weren't. They have been over the last couple of days. Again, 13,000 on the picket line demanding better pay, pension, benefits in a four-day work week. WABC News Time 510. Five American citizens now out of Iran after being imprisoned in that country. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says that he had some pretty emotional conversations with the group of Americans after they landed in Doha yesterday. Yesterday after being free. The freedom of these Americans for so long unjustly imprisoned and detained in Iran means some pretty basic things. It means that husbands and wives, fathers and children, grandparents can hug each other again. In exchange for the Americans, the U.S. agreed to deal with they'll give Tehran access to $6 billion of its own oil revenue in the U.S. that had been frozen through sanctions. The deal facing a lot of criticism from Republicans who have accused the president of giving in to Tehran. One of the things that I heard in my conversation with, um, with our fellow citizens who are now free is their own determination, their own commitment, their own conviction to continuing this work to making sure that other Americans who are unjustly detained anywhere in the world well, that's come more from, home. More from Antony Blinken, who says uh, he would not back down. He says they're going to continue to look for ways to free other Americans who are being held in other countries. To date, under this administration, we have now brought 30 Americans home from places around the world where they were being unjustly detained. But Senate Republicans said it costs too much to bring those folks home. One of them, Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Tehran continues to accelerate its enrichment of weapons-grade uranium and stonewall international inspectors seeking the truth about Iran's weaponization work. Senator McConnell says the deal, the latest example of President Biden rewarding and incentivizing Iran's bad behavior. Unfortunately, the deal that secured their release may very well be the latest example of President Biden rewarding and incentivizing Tehran's bad behavior. I think I just said that. A White Plains family had spent Eight years worrying about Siamak Namazi. He was one of the Americans freed from Iran yesterday. He lived in Westchester, graduated from White Plains High School, had been wrongfully detained in Iran after getting arrested there back in 2015 on spying charges. He was a businessman. He went to Iran and he was promoting uh, Iran to the world. And uh, for no rhyme or reason, he was arrested. He wasn't even uh, told what his charges were. That's his uncle who still lives in White Plains, Siamak, sentenced to 10 years in prison, but he ultimately served eight of those years, which might have been the longest of all those five uh, who had been imprisoned in Iran. Siamak is the longest-lasting American hostage held in Iran. No other American has been held in Iran for that long. The end of a nightmare for the entire family. Yeah, I bet it is. Namazi says his nephew faced routine torture, interrogation while he was incarcerated. His, his relief was just a huge relief for him and the family they're celebrating today. Uh, Namazi is expected his nephew actually is going to go through some intensive health monitoring before he arrives back home. 513. Now that a COVID vaccine has been approved, public health authorities trying to figure out ways to get Americans to roll up their sleeves. The question is, will you? 
Uh, there are doctors who say you should do this because uh, flu season's coming. COVID's going around again. Just another way to protect yourself like you might do if you one person who takes a flu shot every year. In the safety trials looking at this new COVID-19 vaccine, there are no new side effects that are noted. So health insurance will pay for this new vaccine. But I'm actually hearing, I've heard from a couple of you who said they went in to get the COVID shot over the weekend. It was available here in New York as early as Friday. And they had to pay for it. And uh, they were telling me $150 for a shot uh, uh, seems like a lot of money. And I thought health insurance was going to pay for this thing, but I guess for some it does not. But really, it's an updated strain, but the vaccines themselves are unchanged. Yeah, so uh, that's Dr. Jason Boulding. He's saying uh, he got the vaccine, and he says he's telling his patients to do the same. He says it's a good idea. So they haven't noted any new significant side effects with this new vaccine. Yeah, so he's telling his patients to roll up their sleeve. 514, the Biden administration says it's committed to tackling the drug crisis. The Health and Human Services Secretary says the administration prioritizing prevention treatment and recovery efforts with the goal of reducing deaths. It is President Biden who made possible a budget at HHS that has put more money down, real money down, to deal with drug overdose than any president before him. President Biden has dedicated about $400 million to invest in communities to curb overdoses, uh, the number of overdoses uh, continues to skyrocket year after year. We got to announce because of President Biden's commitment, more than $400 million would be there to help you and others who are trying to tackle this problem. Every five minutes, we lose someone to overdose in this country. Before I finish, someone else in America will not be around. One of our babies will not be here. It is crazy. More than 109,000 people died from drug overdoses last year alone. That's more than people who then died in car crashes last year. It's how outrageous that number is. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Good morning. Happy Tuesday uh, on what was a gruesome night on a football field uh, for Monday Night Football. No, Justin Allen? Yes, it was indeed. Uh, Noam led in Cleveland Browns running back. Nick Chubb goes down um, with in a, not an apparent knee injury. That was definitely a knee injury. I know uh, I watched a clip earlier this morning. That thing went um, to a 90-degree angle. I watched it with you and reminded me, uh, for people who are a little older, of when Joe Theismann was tackled by Lawrence Taylor on Monday Night Football all those years ago, and they Um, showed that injury over and over and over again. Yeah, This is almost kind of the same thing. I I watched it just because you told me to come in, but it's it's gruesome. (laughs) It's pretty bad. You know, that Theismann one is is the notable, uh, of course, uh, one in football history. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I assumed when I saw it that it would be a non-contact injury. Usually when it's an ACL or something like that, then that's what that means. But, uh, no, a helmet went directly into his knee cap and uh his his knee just uh, bent in ways that, yeah yeah but exactly yeah. that it shouldn't that it shouldn't bend ouchy indeed it was intense to watch it, yeah. in, it was it was but first off before that even happened you had the new orleans saints marching into carolina to beat the panthers by a score of 20 to 17 and then the browns they lost 26 to 22 uh in pittsburgh to the steelers but of course that big loss running back nick chubb uh, in the process of that, of losing that game, leaves the game with a significant knee injury, is what they're calling it right now. The four-time Pro Bowler's sixth NFL season ended two plays into the sex, uh, second quarter after the knee uh, bent awkwardly, to say the least, when he was hit low by Steelers safety Minka Fitzpatrick. He went to the hospital as a precaution before returning to Cleveland, and head coach Kevin Stefanski has already confirmed uh, that he will be out for the rest of the season. So prayers up for 
running back Nick Chubb there. He had a similar uh, injury in college that was also very severe. Pretty much tore every ligament you could possibly tear in your knee. Yikes. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens. But um, looking forward to hopefully some good news coming from the Nick Chubb camp. Looking ahead to early uh, early lines for this weekend's local matchups in the NFL. Remember, the Giants are on a short week here. So they're right back in action on Thursday night in San Francisco against the 49ers. G-Men are currently 10.5 point underdogs there. As for the Jets... Right now, they're two-and-a-half-point underdog Sunday afternoon at home against the New England Patriots. On the diamond, the Yankees were off last night while the Mets squeaked out. A 2-1 to victory on the road in Miami against the Marlins. Jeff McNeil hit a tie-breaking homer, leading off the ninth inning to secure the win for uh, New York in the series opener. They'll get after it in Game 2 in Miami tonight at 6.40 p.m. with Joey Lucchesi set to take the hill. As for the Yankees, they'll open a series at home with the Blue Jays tonight, tabbing Clark Schmidt with the start in tonight's 7.05 p.m. first pitch series opener. No, that is sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellis. WABC News Time 520. Let's go out to the White House campaign trail. Former President Trump expected to skip next week's Republican presidential primary debate. The New York Times reports that Trump will instead deliver a primetime speech to auto workers in Detroit. This comes as the United Auto Workers strike has entered its fifth day. Trump also skipped the first GOP primary debate in Milwaukee last month, citing his sizable lead in the polls. Next week's debate will take place in Simi Valley, California. I'm Mark Mayfield. Some Jewish groups criticizing former President Trump over a recent social media post. On Truth Social Sunday, Trump shared a photo with a message that blames, quote, liberal Jews who didn't support him for casting votes to destroy America and Israel. It also told them to make better choices amid celebrations of the Jewish New Year. Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt told Forbes that the message is dangerous and wrong. Meantime, the Jewish Council for Public Affairs referred to it as anti-Semitic, saying it's deeply offensive and divisive. I'm Brian Shook. We're getting a little more information on this man who allegedly was armed when he approached Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at an event in Los Angeles over the weekend. He's facing a gun charge. Hearing more from correspondent Aaron Gilchrist, who was on the scene. The man showed up at a door to the event carrying a loaded pistol, wearing what appeared to be a U.S. Marshal badge and asking to be taken to the candidate. The campaign alleging that security also found a backpack with another handgun, knives and ammunition. Yeah, really frightening stuff here. 44-year-old Adrian Paul Asparo arrested, booked on felony charge of carrying a concealed firearm. The theater where Kennedy was speaking is less than two miles from the Ambassador Hotel where his father was assassinated back in 1968. In the decision-making process of whether or not he should get protection, my humble opinion, I think he should. You have enough factors here showing vulnerability, showing that there's danger to his life. Somebody from the campaign, RFK Jr., has requested Secret Service protection in part due to his family's uh, tragic history, which the campaign says he's been denied twice. Maybe that will change now that this crazy loon showed up at this event. Governor DeSantis, uh, he was out doing something that will only give him good press. He was out giving uh, bonuses to first responders in Florida yesterday. We have, for the third year in a row, uh, authorized $1,000 bonus 
bonuses for all of our police, fire, and EMTs. And, of course, uh, he delivered these checks in person, people smiling as they got theirs. We are going to hand out the checks. If you're not here today, you will get one in the mail. Thank you for what you're doing. And they are checks that net you $1,000. So the taxes are paid for as well in this, so you don't have to get hit with the taxes. Yeah, that'll get you applause. Uh, We take pride in our first responders. Uh, We take pride... We take pride in the people that that serve in law enforcement. And then, of course, we've seen the great work that our fire rescue and EMTs have done. Yeah, no two ways about it. The first responders deserve those bonuses and a whole lot more. 523, Hunter Biden, uh, as we broke yesterday, suing the IRS. The son of President Biden alleges IRS agents illegally disclosed his tax return information. The lawsuit was filed in federal court in Washington, D.C. on Monday. It comes just days after Hunter Biden was indicted on federal gun charges. The allegations center on disclosures made by two IRS agents during television interviews and testimony before Congress. I'm Mark Mayfield. 524, let's go out to Ohio suburban Maywood. They're searching for a former NFL player after his mother was found dead. They still haven't found this guy. This neighbor of the family hopes for the best. Hopefully the son's not in the trouble that they didn't, something didn't happen to mom and, and son, or the son was in, in, in any way involved. I hope not. Um, he seemed like a nice, nice guy. 73-year-old Myrtle Brown and her son Sergio were reported missing over the weekend. Officers discovered Myrtle unresponsive near a creek behind her Maywood home. Cook County Medical Examiner's Office ruling her death a homicide yesterday, saying she suffered multiple injuries during an assault. Sergio Brown, as of this morning anyway, cops have not found him. 524, a very intense moment down in Florida. The Hillsborough Florida Sheriff has released a couple minutes of body cam video from the standoff with a 14-year-old boy who had been accused of shooting and killing his mother in Riverview. Then he had taken the gun and he had pointed it at himself when police arrived and police did everything they can to convince him not to fire off that gun and kill himself. I don't want to hurt you, bro. I do not want to shoot you. Put it down. You don't want to end it this way. You don't want to end it this way, brother. I promise you, whatever happened today, it can be fixed. Don't pull the trigger. That Sheriff Chad Cronister says his deputy stayed calm, talked to the teen into giving himself up. He did. Detectives have charged that teen with second-degree murder, first-degree attempted murder. Not only did he shoot his mother, allegedly, but he allegedly shot her boyfriend as well. Whatever choices you made, that's the best choice you made all day long. Yeah, so uh, he thankfully he did not take his own life. Uh, social media users are making impulse buys at an increasing rate. This is sort of like that idea of impulse buys when you're at the grocery store and you're waiting in line at the cashier and there's all that great candy there and other items to buy. Uh, the thought here is that the younger you are, the more likely you are to make an impulse buy on Instagram if you see a picture of something that looks interesting. It can really add up. We found that over the past year, about four out of ten social media users made an impulse buy of something that they saw on social media. And unfortunately, 57% of them regretted at least one of the purchases. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I'm one of these people. I'm not a millennial, but millennials made the most purchases of any group, spending an, on average a little more than $1,000 a year on impulse buys on social media. This is when something shows up in your Facebook, Instagram feed, whatever it may be. 
uh, these millennials will see something they like and they'll slap down the cash for the it. The average is about $750 a year. It can certainly add up in some cases. Young adults are the most likely by far to be making these impulse buys inspired by social media. A little over half of millennial and Gen Z social media users have done so in the past year versus only about a third of Gen Xers and only about a quarter of boomers. Yeah, what it shows is these ads really work. $71 billion, that's the number they've come up with, have been spent on impulse buys on social media just over the last year. Let's take a look at Wall Street. The opening bell rings this morning after stocks edged higher yesterday to start the week on Wall Street. Apple shares rose on upbeat outlooks for the new iPhone demand. Auto stocks, including Ford, General Motors, uh, slid as the United Auto Workers strike continues. At the closing bell, Dow gained six points. S&P 500 added three. NASDAQ rose a point. Investors, meanwhile, keeping a close eye out for the Federal Reserve decision on interest rates. Central Bank is opening a two-day meeting today and is widely expected to keep interest rates steady when they make their closely watched announcement come Wednesday. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. That's me, 532. Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 19th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Just a beauty on the way. Sunshine, high 74. Tonight and overnight, really good sleep. Weather clear and cool, low 58. And then Wednesday, we'll do it all over again. Sunshine, just a little warmer, high 77. If you are walking down the door with us right now, so happy you are. 59 and clear, Sea Cliff out on Long Island. 56 and clear in Piscataway down in New Jersey. And it is 58 and clear here in Midtown. And we'll start this half hour right here in the big city with new protections that are being taken to help MTA bus drivers as they deal with these increasing assaults against drivers, which just seems bananas. But more than ever, these drivers are being attacked by people who get on the bus. So now the MTA is going to experiment with a covering that completely protects the rider from uh, the bus driver from those riders. Uh, here's one of those bus drivers. His name is Edward Burt. He describes what he has dealt with as he's driven around the big city in an MTA bus. I've been assaulted as a bus operator, coffee, uh, you name it, other liquids. I've been spit on. I've been physically assaulted. Um, and it's not it's not easy. Yeah, it doesn't say a whole lot about us, uh, our society, that people are taking out their frustrations on these bus drivers. He actually even had someone reach in and grab the wheel of his bus recently. A lot of people think that this is an easy job, and it's really not. Um, it's a lot that you have to deal with mentally, physically, the traffic, children, people. Um, the people that don't want to pay. For the first seven months of the year, there were 98 uh, felony and misdemeanor assaults on drivers. That's an increase of 36% over last year. 
115 spitting incidents. Really? What is wrong with people? Uh, the TWU president, Richard Davis, the MTA, giving the thumbs up to this plan. Essentially, now these drivers, if this deal goes through and they're doing a pilot program now, they will put drivers essentially like in their own plexiglass container. So you won't be able to touch them. They won't be able to touch you unless they want to open the store to get out. Uh, but it will protect these drivers from passengers, which well, some level seems nuts, but we've gotten to that point. We believe that the cockpit will help reduce those assaults, people trying to reach around and, and strike at our employees. It's a start, it's in the right place, and we know in the future this is what we're heading towards, is making sure we have more cockpits and buses to make sure our members are protected. Yeah, they're calling it a cockpit, a partition, whatever it is, it'll protect the driver. Uh, even with this, and they're testing this thing out, it'll cost thousands of dollars to outfit each bus. Uh, there's about 4,800 MTA buses on the streets on any given day. Um, last week, a driver was viciously beaten by a crowd of young people in Brooklyn as he was returning to his bus after a break. So he wasn't on the bus, so there was no partition to protect them. Three other drivers, thankfully, came to his aid. They were beaten as well. Nobody was seriously injured, but police still haven't found the creeps involved in that one. There are videos, so hopefully they will. Uh, This driver we've been hearing from who says he's been spit on and slapped and hit says uh, he already feels better about this partition because it's protecting him while he drives around the big city. I'm not thinking about assaults as much because I have something that's going to protect me from being touched by another human being that I don't even want to touch me. Yeah. It, it gives me a good piece It of is mind. just nuts, though, right? Police have made an arrest in the Bronx in the double shooting that claimed the life of an innocent bystander injured another. There were six people who were innocent bystanders who were hit by gunfire in the Bronx in a 72-hour period last week. One of them was 71-year-old Enrique Rivera, who uh, she was hit by a bullet. This was uh, East 139th Street and Brook Avenue last week. That bullet pierced her heart. She was killed. Uh, somebody that she was just crossing the street middle of the day, by the way. This was noon when she was hit by a bullet. It was a gang member firing at another gang member. Uh, they finally caught this jerk, uh, 21-year-old Josh Evans. Um, they've now charged him with murder, attempted murder in connection to the incident. Uh, they did a perp walk with him in the Bronx precinct last night. And they invited the and family, the Rivera family, to be there so they could see this guy. And they showed up in mass. Whatever you do on this earth, you pay on this earth. And justice will be served for my mother. Everyone will know her name. Yeah, I don't think I said it as well as they did, but who can blame them for showing up for that perp walk last night? Uh, Here's the police commissioner, Caban. If you carry an illegal firearm, if you recklessly pull the trigger, if you harm anyone in our city, the NYPD will find you. The motive appears to be nothing more than a long-standing difference passed down through generations of these two gangs. That's why this guy was firing in the middle of the day. Uh, The family, the Rivera family, says, thank God this creeps behind bars. When you remember my mother, smile, because she was the happiest person on this earth. All I want everybody to know is that I just really miss her so much. Yeah, tragic story, but thank God they caught up with that gunman. 537 now, traffic, transit. Before you go to traffic. Yeah. I need a favor. I uh, got out of the cab this morning. My guy, Gene, drove me in this morning in, right. in the cab, you know. 
and I left my phone there, and I can't go 10 minutes without my phone. It's now been 40 minutes. I've called it a 100 times. I don't know how in the dark. He doesn't see the phone lighting up in the back seat. But, Gene, APB, I know you listen to me every morning. Okay. If you're listening to Noam right now, the phone, my phone is in the back seat. Drive back to my office, please, and drop off that phone ASAP. This is an APB to Gene in the cab. I got to get my phone back. What it's very, uh, very kind important. of car does Gene drive in case somebody's driving around and they see his car? Do you know his license plate number? Or I like know that? nothing. <laughs> the color of his car? Curtis, uh, it's a cab. Curtis takes Gene as well. And Curtis oh, may even have his number like I do. The problem is I've got his number. It's in my phone, which is in the back seat of the car. And Curtis is not picking up his phone yet. So, Gene, if you're listening, please come back and drop off the phone. Well, he's Thank definitely you. listening. I know Gene. So, all right. So let's hope that works. All right, let's head over to traffic and transit. It's good to have a big thing of tower that uh, goes to thousands of millions of people. That's they can right. hear this announcement, and no doubt Gene will be here any minute now, right, Joe? WABC News Time 540, the Bronx daycare where that child died on Friday from apparent fentanyl poisoning now closed due to the opioid exposure on Friday. Residents' neighbors reacting after a criminal complaint shows detectives found a kilogram of fentanyl at the Davino Nino Daycare on Morris Avenue, along with two press devices in a hallway closet, another in a bedroom. To think that, like, that could happen anywhere, like in the buildings that I live in, like, next door, you don't know if that's happening. I have two kids myself. We have to be constantly worried about where we're leaving our kids now. I'm a working mother, too, so it's frustrating. Of course it is. The daycare, which is said to be operating in a converted apartment, had passed a surprise city inspection just last week, actually. The owner, she's uh, been charged. Uh, her brother-in-law, he's been charged as well. But her husband, he's missing. And cops looking for him. They haven't been able to find him. You know your area. You should know where you live. The environment. I'm not going to lie to you. It's just, it's horrible. You see it everywhere. That these people are like literally, you know, they're fiends around here and drug addicts around this area. It's not a good area. There's a school and everything, but you would see them. So it's not clear who was running a drug operation out of the daycare and apparently their apartment as well. But so far, no sign of this woman's husband. Meanwhile, Mayor Adams calling it total madness that a child was killed from fentanyl at a daycare center. There needs to be a full national assault on this drug entering our city. We're all parents. And you cannot be a parent and not be angry. What happened to those four babies? Of course, just awful. We're not going to allow this incident to take place and ignore this as just another day and another tragedy in the city. It's not acceptable. WABC News Time 542. Let's go out to Long Island. Yesterday, we told you about a synagogue that had been given a bomb threat on Sunday during Rosh Hashanah. Well, apparently now we're being told it was a lot of synagogues that got bomb threats on Long Island. Nassau, Suffolk County received email bomb threats during the High Holy Day. Bomb threats received Monday by North Shore Synagogue in Syosset, B'nai Israel Temple, Oakdale. Additional bomb threats emailed Temple Betham and Mary. Temple Beth David in Comac. Uh, the rabbi there, Beth uh, Clafter, telling News 12 that um, she actually didn't see the email until Monday, um, but they evacuated the building just in case. It, it's disturbing because it's a measure of what's going on in the world in terms of anti-Semitism. All threats were determined to be hoaxes, but of course when it's happening, you don't know that it's a hoax. I think it's horrible. I think it's not unusual these days, and I think it's really, really horrible, especially on the high holidays. 
Police also confirming they investigated a threat to Temple Avodah in Oceanside. Synagogues, as you might guess, over the last couple of years since that mass murder shooting in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue, have stepped up security big time. And that's the case in all these synagogues that were threatened over the weekend. It means we, as I said, we've always had guards that are, we are hired for the holidays. It means we have to be vigilant. It means our own members who are ushers and greeting people have to be vigilant. And maybe the same dope who's behind all these threats in Westchester County as well. Faux bomb threats made against a bunch of synagogues in Westchester over the weekend as well. Here's County Executive George Latimer. And when acts like this occur, whether they uh, they re- reflect anti-Semitism or some other type of uh, miscreant behavior designed just to make uh, people run around and be upset and concerned, uh, we take it credibly. The county executive says uh, additional resources put into effect to verify the threats against these houses of worship. Thankfully, none of them were legit, not credible, but of course you have to take them seriously when they come in. Uh, who's the source? They may never know. One of the bedrocks of America is that you have the right to worship the religion as you see fit, and that every one of those religions should be able to be practiced in peace. Yeah, the good news here, nobody hurt in any of those synagogues. 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, where we find Justin Ellick. Hey, Noam Lane, thank you very much. Week two of the NFL season wrapped up last night with the doubleheader of Monday Night Football. First off, we had the New Orleans Saints marching into Carolina to beat the Panthers by a score of 20-17 to 17 before the Cleveland Browns lost 26-22 in Pittsburgh to the Steelers. But the real loss here, running back Nick Chubb, uh, with a significant knee injury is what they're calling it. The four-time Pro Bowler's sixth NFL season ended two plays into the second quarter after his knee bent awkwardly, uh, to say the least, yeah. when he was hit low by Steelers safety Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, the thing made a 90-degree angle. Uh, you can watch the video if you like, but uh, viewer discretion is advised. He went to the hospital as a precaution before returning to Cleveland. Head coach Kevin Stefanski did confirm following the game that uh, he expects Chubb to miss the rest of the season. So we'll look out for any updates regarding that. That looked career-ending to me. Yeah, it didn't look great. And considering his past, uh, he had um, a really bad knee injury in college where he pretty much tore every ligament uh, imaginable in his knee in the same knee. So uh, we'll see. We're hoping for the best, but uh, it's not looking good. Uh, you never want to uh, speculate uh, a career-ending injury, but um, it did not look pretty. Looking ahead to early lines for this weekend's local matchups in the NFL. Remember, the Giants are on a short week, so they're right back in action on Thursday night in San Francisco against the 49ers. The G-Men are currently 10.5-point underdogs there. As for the Jets right now, they're 2.5-point underdogs Sunday afternoon at home against the New England Patriots. On the diamond, the Yankees were off last night while the Mets squeaked out a 2-1 uh, victory on the road. In Miami against the Marlins, Jeff McNeil had a tie-breaking homer, leading off the ninth inning to secure the win for New York at the series opener. They'll get after it in Game 2 with Miami tonight at 6.40 p.m. Joe Lucchesi set to take the hill. As for the Yankees, they'll open a series at home with the Blue Jays tonight, tapping Clark Schmidt with the start in tonight's 7.05 p.m. first pitch series opener. That's sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Alex. Let's get you up on the big stories of the morning. One of them is the military says it's found a debris field in South Carolina that could be linked to that missing stealth fighter jet that went missing on Sunday. How is it that the U.S. military's most advanced fighter jet could simply disappear? Well, one U.S. official tells us it appears that the transponder may have malfunctioned and that may have impacted the U.S. military's ability 
to locate and communicate with that aircraft. That's reporter, uh, reporter Courtney Koob, who's on the scene. A Marine Corps pilot ejected from this F-35B after some sort of mishap on Sunday managed to make it to the ground safely with a parachute in North Charleston. The plane, which is said to be worth nearly $100 million, was nowhere to be found. But there is this debris field about two hours away from Charleston. They think it is the plane. They're keeping people away. Of course, more details come to us. We'll pass them on to you. Nice moment on the sidelines of the General Assembly, which really gets underway this morning at the United Nations. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky arrived here yesterday, immediately headed to Staten Island University Hospital to visit his country's wounded soldiers who've been sent here to recuperate. Uh, some of these people receiving treatment at the hospital are getting prosthetic limbs. These are all people who have been hurt on the battlefield. He stopped, took photos with each soldier, saluted them, then had a moment uh, as he walked out of this hospital where he issued the country's battle cry, glory to Ukraine, where the soldiers at Staten Island University Hospital, the Ukrainian ones, yelled back to him, glory to the heroes in Ukrainian. Nice moment there with the Ukrainian president. President. Uh, then on the sidelines of the GA as well, or maybe because of the GA, a total of 114 protesters arrested lower Manhattan yesterday. Another one of these climate change protests. They targeted Wall Street because they, they say Wall Street's paying for all that's gone wrong with climate change. They tried to get on the New York Stock Exchange floor. They were stopped by police who were ready for this big protest. This is our last resort. We're bringing the crisis to their doorstep. And this Those arrested charged with civil disobedience. Despite the arrest, the group promises more activism this week during the U.N. General Assembly. The aim of the protesters to demand an end to fossil fuel financing from outside the largest financial institutions. That's why they were on Wall Street yesterday. They actually stood in front of the doors to the Federal Reserve as well. That's when the arrest began. Nobody's getting in until the Fed regulates Wall Street and makes their portfolios comply with not expanding Uh, 114 in all say they plan to get arrested, and they were. We'll be blocking doors, blocking streets, blocking whatever we can to send a message to the financial institutions and to Joe Biden uh, that we have to get off of fossil fuels. No doubt you'll see more of this as the week goes on. The United Auto Workers, they're in their fifth day of the strike against the big three automakers. UAW members say they'll stay on the picket line till they get what they want. Uh, record profit should be spread out to the employees that are help making that profit. So there were reports that the union met with Ford and GM over the weekend, but the UAW president says the progress has been slow. 13,000 members on the picket lines in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. They're demanding higher pay, shorter work weeks, and better pension benefits. I, I could see it going a few weeks for sure. Yes, sir. I got a long way to go till I retire. Yeah, so uh, here's the issue, though, is this strike goes on. It has that trickle effect downwards and some auto part companies that supply the uh, auto plants now say if the strike goes till the end of September they will start laying off members there because if the no money's coming in they can't afford to pay their workers uh, UAW President Sean Fain uh, is hoping he'll see some progress this week. It's a shame 
that the companies didn't take our advice and get down to business from the beginning of bargaining back in mid-July. Yeah, so we'll see what goes on here, day five of that UAW strike. Rockland County authorities investigating after they found 30 migrants, including children, living in a Clarkstown home yesterday. Congressman Mike Lawler says officials trying to figure out where the people are coming from, saying he hasn't ruled out that New York City is sending them to Rockland County as, uh, or they're part of a larger human trafficking network. It's not clear yet. And if it is found that Eric Adams and his administration are somehow involved, they need to be held accountable. This cannot continue. So they were told about this by some neighbors who saw something strange going on in the South, this continual stream of arrivals, Congressman Mike Lawler, Rockland County Executive Ed Day, other officials calling on the federal government to close the U.S.-Mexico border while New York takes the brunt of this national crisis. And I think the investigation uh, that is underway will hopefully get to the bottom of who is behind moving migrants from New York City up to Rockland County and across the Hudson Valley. County Executive Day Day was real clear from early on that the migrants were not welcome there, that he would not make deals with New York City to house them. A number of them were leaving, some had already left, and an additional 10 were coming within a day or two, uh, and potentially others afterwards. So it appears like this kind of seems to be like a flop house, a way station. I'm so sick of hearing about how horrible we are because we insist that people are being taken seriously, that people will listen to us and we say how bad this is going to get. Yeah, Ed Day says they will get to the bottom of what's going on with that house. Uh, crazy scene in Newark yesterday. Thankfully, this story ended well. Six-year-old Alimo Diallo is safe and back home with his family in Newark after a harrowing search yesterday. He is uh, autistic and somehow was able to sneak out of his house around two in the morning. His mother realized pretty quickly that he was gone. Dozens of police officers, firefighters from Newark flooded the streets, combed the neighborhood, uh, trying to find this boy. And it was a UPS worker, check that actually, a FedEx worker, who about one o'clock yesterday was delivering packages and saw a kid lying inside of a car. Um, knew something was up, tried to open the doors to the car, but they were locked. I knock on the window, the knock on the glass. He didn't move. I said, oh, my God, Jesus Christ, bomb. And I ran and called the police because they're all over. Yeah, he did the right thing. So police came in. They were unable to open the doors as well. So they broke the windows to this car. The good news here is Diallo, the six-year-old, he's okay. He was checked out by paramedics, then reunited with his family. You can imagine how excited they were. The uh, guy who actually owned the car that he had uh, gotten into and I guess fallen asleep in, All the windows were smashed out to get to this kid, or at least a number of them were. And so you'd think he'd be upset, but he actually had the right attitude. Glad he's okay. You know, we could replace these windows. That's not the, you know, but can't replace the life. Yeah, so uh, he said that's okay with him. And finally, um, Roger Whitaker has passed away at the age of 87. He was... A pretty well-known folk singer, more overseas than he was back here in the United States. He had a couple of hits over the years, uh, passed away over the weekend. But the thing that was so interesting about him was not only was he a great guitar player and a singer, but he might have been the greatest whistler to ever record an album. This is him playing the guitar, and then that's him whistling. 
sounds pretty good, right? So he scored a hit with this song overseas. Kind of an interesting guy. Spoke a bunch of different languages, which made him sort of world famous. He was really beloved in Germ- uh, Germany because he spoke German, Spanish, English. Uh, anyway, day- dead at 87, but quite a whistler, no?